0: Welcome to
1: our show tonight, we are grateful that you've chosen to spend some of your evening with us. I am Doris Hansen, your host for the program, Polygamy, What Love Is This? A few days ago, we had the privilege of being interviewed by some very nice young gentlemen reporters from Austria. These men were extremely interested in Mormon polygamy and they walked out appalled at the religious and the political ignorance and the ignoring of the problems and abuses of polygamy in this great land of the free. And we are grateful for them that they gave us the opportunity to give our message and that it is traveling around the globe. And I just read this morning that there's another country in Africa who is working to outlaw polygamy. We wonder why is the United States of America traveling backward on the polygamy issue while the rest of the world is moving forward to stamp out polygamy. And we are still in need of a home for the mother with six children who left the FLDS community. We need this home just for a few months probably not for long term but if there is someone watching the show who knows of a place that this mother could stay with her children please give us a call we don't have the funds to buy a home and we don't have the funds to rent a home for her on a month-to-month basis but she needs a place to live so if you would help us provide that place for her we would sure appreciate it just give us a call leave your number and we'll call you back Last Sunday was the day that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was celebrated. Easter Sunday <clears throat> excuse me, is not about chickens and bunnies and eggs and candy and chocolate and Easter baskets. It's about the unprecedented and the most powerful event of all time, God raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Someone once joked that the Sadducees were often antagonistic towards Jesus, And they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead, and that is why they were sad, you see. Now, that may be said jokingly, but Paul the Apostle said, if there is no resurrection, we are to be pitied. We are lost. We are dead in our sins and still in our sins when we die. And only those who trust exclusively in Jesus Christ have any hope at all when the resurrection separates the saved from the unsaved. According to the Bible, the unsaved have no eternal hope at all. Though they may think they do, the Bible says they do not. A few weeks ago, I was reading an article written by a former LDS missionary. He was giving some examples that he uh, had used while he was on his mission of how he illustrated the unique LDS teaching of an apostasy and a resurrection by Joseph Smith. The doctrine of an apostasy and restoration is shared by both the LDS Church and the polygamists. And as I read through this, I realized that if Mormonism and polygamists had a biblical understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they would reject and toss out their apostasy and their restoration heresies once and for all. Because when you understand the power of Christ's resurrection, you could never swallow the lie that Jesus failed to preserve his word, his church, and his gospel. And since this is the time of the year that we celebrated his resurrection, it's an appropriate time to discuss the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as it applies to our purpose, to bring biblical truths to polygamists and to this culture. And in understanding resurrection power, it removes any doubt that God would or could allow an apostasy to obliterate the truth from the earth. And with no apostasy, there would be no need for a restoration. And with no need for a restoration, there would be no need for a Joseph Smith. And with no need for a Joseph Smith, there would be no false commandment to practice polygamy. And then there would be no need, then there would be no Mormon fundamentalists, and then there would be no TV show called Polygamy, What Love Is This? Paul the Apostle in Philippians 3.10 said he wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, resurrection is not resuscitation. Everyone will be resurrected, but only those who are saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone will be resurrected with immortal bodies, totally cleansed from sin. The Old Testament predicts the future time of the resurrection. Isaiah twenty six nineteen says, But your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. And in Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, it says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This clearly explains that there is a universal resurrection but not a universal salvation. Matthew 22:23 tells us that same day the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him Jesus with a question. Well, they asked Jesus the question which we're not going to go into here, and after they asked the question in Matthew 22:29 Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Jesus rebuked the Sadducees because they neither did not understand the biblical scriptures nor the power of Almighty God. And I submit tonight that those who believe that there was an apostasy and a need, a need of a restoration, neither understand the scriptures nor the power of God. It was that power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 and 20 says, That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The power it took to raise Jesus from the dead is the mighty strength of Almighty God who with the word of his power created everything that exists. That same power is able to prevent a universal apostasy from wiping God's church from the earth and it did prevent it. Now, the resurrection is an essential doctrine of the biblical gospel and of Christianity. The biblical gospel is plainly stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to read them now. And it says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. Notice, this is the gospel by which you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance: that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures; that He was buried; that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures; and that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Galatians 1:6-9 warns us all that any other gospel is cursed, and so is the person who brings any other gospel. There are four main points to this true gospel that saves us. And nothing more and nothing less can bring anyone into eternal life. Point number one, Christ died for our sins. Point number two, he was buried, proving that he was dead. Point number three, he was raised from the dead on the third day. And number four, he was seen. Now, he was seen by different people at different times and by over 500 people at the same time. The resurrection of Jesus was fully documented. Everything that Jesus claimed about himself is fully proven by his resurrection. His resurrection guarantees that we also will be resurrected. It took the almighty and able power of God to raise the dead Jesus Christ back to life. This is a power that no human can ever obtain. No human technology, no human invention will ever be able to accomplish a true resurrection. That power is so great that only God can do it. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 tells us that his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Only his power can bring the dead back to life. It not only brought Jesus Christ back to life, but that power also raised him up into heaven and seated him on God's throne. Ephesians 1.22 tells us, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Now this verse explains that all things are under Jesus' feet. That means that since his resurrection took place, all things are under his control, which proves that he could perfectly and powerfully prevent an attempted apostasy. This verse says that Jesus has been appointed head of everything for the church. Now, this isn't referring to the Mormon church or the polygamous churches. They didn't even exist at the time. Jesus' church is the aggregate number of all believers throughout the entire world since Jesus began building his church, which is reported in the book of Acts. Now, since he is head of everything for the church, that includes preserving his word and preserving his church uncorrupted, uninterrupted through the past 2,000 years. And apostasy was an impossibility. To say otherwise is denying God. Christ's power and authority transcends human motives, transcends human passions and human evil. His power and authority transcends and overrules all satanic and all demonic schemes and evil designs. There's no kingdom, no government, no religion, no system, no apostasy that can overcome or diminish God's power in any way. This power is the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This power has been at work in his people and in his church since the day of his resurrection without interruption. Since Jesus is our resurrected Savior There's no church and there's no church system that saves us or helps save us. Jesus is the Word of God. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is describing Jesus Christ. He alone is God's word, and he alone is God, and he mediates God's word and his priestly ministry and authority to us for God. He has all power to be all things for us. And yet... Despite all the Bible teaches about God's faithfulness and power, Mormonism remains stubbornly dogmatic that God failed to do what he promised he would do. The power exerted in the dead body of Jesus Christ, which accomplished the resurrection, is an event that this culture has never been able to grasp its significance, and so instead what they do is they substitute their own weak, humanistic and futile teachings of human works to do what only the power of his resurrection in us can do, and that includes living polygamy for salvation. There is no such thing as a works-related path to celestial glory. The missionary's teaching technique that I spoke about earlier explained how he taught people the Mormon gospel while he was on his mission. And it's heresies like his that are are taught around the world by over 50,000 missionaries every day of every year. In this, Mormonism forces a false definition for the Dark Ages, which is foundational to their own twisted reasoning for a Joseph Smith. The missionary explained it this way, and I quote... This was a very dark time for the earth. It is one of the reasons it is also called the Dark Ages. People were confused and stumbled around looking for the light and clung to whatever they could remember the apostles and Christ had taught them. But without the light to keep them on the right path, they fell into unbelief in the darkness. And then he brings the punchline. Quote, In 1820, a young 14-year-old boy brings back the light, and he gives the light to 12 others. But, John 1-9 says about Jesus, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Every person throughout the ages will somehow sometime have enough light from Jesus to make a decision to receive or reject Jesus either that's true or God isn't true Jesus is alive the power of his resurrection makes a supposed apostasy out of the question John 8:12 When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But Joseph Smith claims that light was lost. It was extinguished, and he had to restore it. That makes Joseph out to be greater than Jesus, doesn't it? Because Joseph succeeded where Jesus failed. Is that possible? A while back, someone called into the Heart of the Matter show, a Tuesday night show here on TV20, and they asked this question, when Jesus and the Father reportedly appeared to Joseph Smith, was Jesus embarrassed? Well, you know, I've thought about that question a lot since they asked that good, and it's a good question. After all, Jesus promised and God promised that the gospel and His church and His word would endure forever, eternally, all through all ages and all generations. They promised it would never fail. So when Jesus met Joseph in the grove, wasn't Jesus embarrassed that he had failed and was forced to come to a little boy who is barely into puberty and ask him to accomplish what he had failed and was unable to do? What happened to his resurrection power? Do you understand the implications here? Do you really believe that Jesus failed and had to commission Joseph Smith to restore what he himself didn't or couldn't do? Have you even thought it through at all anyway? Do you realize that a Joseph Smith restoration is an impossibility in the face of an omnipotent God? If you understood the power of God, you would know that isn't possible. Do you realize that a restoration doctrine demeans and belittles Jesus Christ? If you truly believe that a total apostasy took place and that a restoration was required, then you believe that Jesus could do it but didn't, or that Jesus couldn't do it but promised he would anyway, which would make him a deceiver and a liar, or that he thought he could do it but he didn't know he couldn't do it, which would make him stupid. Now, which is it? Is Jesus a deceiver and a liar? Is he powerless to keep his word? If he is powerless to keep his promises, then he was powerless to be resurrected. Or, is he a keeper of his promises with the divine and almighty power to keep them? Let's look at some of those promises. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, what does the word forever mean? I'm sure that in this story, this missionary apostasy, uh, this missionary told about the apostasy. The word got lost. The light was extinguished. There was nothing left. But God said forever. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, "Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens." Well, what does the word eternal mean? In the heavens, His word is firm in the heavens. That means His word is kept safe. If mankind could climb into the heavens and grab his work and destroy it, they would, but it's firm in the heavens. Nobody can destroy it. God said in Isaiah 46.10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. There is no greater power greater than God's, and he is able to fulfill his purpose without the help or the hindrance of any man. And Matthew five eighteen, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. That's Jesus' promise. He also promised in Mark thirteen thirty one, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never, never pass away. What does never mean? So how could there be an apostasy that would create the dark ages? Romans 3, 3 through 4 says, What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar. Well, that includes Joseph Smith because God is true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ totally decimates the powerless doctrines of Mormonism and the polygamists. If they realized the amazing power exerted in Christ to accomplish his resurrection, there would be a mass exodus from everything Mormon. That resurrection power has kept his gospel pure and uninterrupted. It has kept his church continuous and his word and promises unbroken throughout all generations, just as he promised that he would do. There was no apostasy. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. No apostasy, folks. In Christ's resurrection, we have the power of God Almighty available to us to save us and keep us saved. We are powerless but he is all-powerful. That power has been saving people throughout all generations, just as he promised, and to deny his eternal power by harboring a supposed apostasy is to deny him. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 5 says, but mark this, there will be Terrible times in the last days. And then it mentions several things that's going to go wrong, and they're going wrong too. And verse 5 says, They have a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. This culture has a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Confirmed by their doctrine of an apostasy. God says, have nothing to do with them. 2 Timothy 2:12 says if we disown him he will also disown us. And apostasy doctrine disowns God's word and his promises. Titus 1:16 says they claim to know God but by their actions they deny him. This verse is so descriptive of the Mormon and the polygamous culture. And apostasy denies the power of God to keep his promises, his word and his church safe and uncorrupted throughout all generations, denying that God kept his promises and that he has the power to do exactly as he said he would do, is disowning and denying him. And it will end in an eternal rejection of you by the Lord Jesus Christ. And since his promises remain constant and secure, we know that we can trust the Bible to teach us everything we need to know for life and godliness. It's no wonder that polygamy in Mormonism is predicated on good works salvation. Only the omnipotent power of God can save a sinful human. And since Mormonism hasn't and cannot grasp the resurrection power of Jesus to save us without any help from us, the only thing left is a powerless good works message. But good works will never save anyone. And finally, Jesus had to go to the cross before he was laid in the grave. But Mormonism, including the polygamists, do not and will not teach the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, they might mention it from time to, nine, time to time, but they refuse to focus on the cross because they say it's an instrument of torture. Instead, they explain they would rather focus on his life than on his brutal death on the cross. But you know what? That cross is the message and the story of our eternal life. It's the story of my salvation. And it may shock you, but Jesus said to focus on his death. He gave instructions and the reason for the sacrament, which the Mormons call sacrament, we call it the Lord's Supper or communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 27, it gives instructions on how to take those sacraments. And verse 26 says... For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you see that? Jesus commanded that we celebrate the Lord's Supper and that we do it as a remembrance of his death until he comes back. His death is the focus here, not his life, because he died for your sins. And if you die in your sins, it's too late forever. His death took place on the cross. And 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is this verse that explains why all of Mormondom will not teach or preach the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. The devil doesn't want you to trust the cross. He'd rather you trust your good works, which God says is filthy rags. He'd rather you trust your temples or your temple work. But God says he doesn't live in temples built by human hands. The devil would rather you trust your polygamy. But it was God who instituted monogamy. The devil would rather you trust your man-made garments to protect you, to do for you what only God himself can do for you. The devil is delighted when you trust all these things rather than place your eternal soul in the powerful hands of the resurrected Jesus Christ and that place that he accomplished our eternal life, that old rugged cross. We're going to open up the telephone lines now if you'd like to call in. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to enter the conversation, if you have comments or questions, I'd love to talk to you. Our phone number is 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Remember that um, you need to turn your TV volume down when you get on the air, and also a two-way conversation is required, or we will disconnect you. And while we're waiting for the calls to come in, we do have a message we'd like to share with you
2: are watching polygamy what love is this broadcasting live from salt lake city utah this program is the broadcast outreach of a shield and refuge ministry shield and refuge is a point of first contact for mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts we invite you to contact us. Call toll free at 877 425 9993 or email us at TV at polygamy.com. You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at about dot com we want you to know that we've made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge you will find them at our website www.whatloveisthis.tv there you will find the dvd lifting the veil of polygamy which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you, is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream, on demand, directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris
0: Hansen.
1: Welcome back to our show. We've been talking about the power of Christ's resurrection and how it applies to those who are being saved and that it's only the power of the resurrection, the power of the cross that actually can bring us into eternal life. Um, before I answer the telephone calls that are waiting, I have a question that I'd like to ask our viewers, and I'd like for you to listen to the question and then perhaps call in and weigh weigh in on the answer. And uh, we wonder, actually, with the idea of an apostasy, why the Mormon faith says that Christianity was lost after Jesus and his disciples died, that it's been changed, uh, the the Christian, the true biblical doctrine, salvation doctrine has been changed from what it was then, while at the same time, Mormonism is guilty of changing their doctrine so radically, they don't even believe the same things today as they did when Mormonism first started only 150 years ago. They are the ones who have changed their scriptures and made almost 4,000 changes in the Book of Mormon alone. Why are they accusing the Christians of doing what they themselves are so guilty of doing? Will someone call in, perhaps, and answer that question? Okay, we have a call from Charles in Orem. Hello, Charles.
3: Hi, Doris. Uh, Yes. Yes, I just wanted to... But you know I think that that was one of the finest explanations and reputations of the Mormon concept of restoration that I have ever heard.
1: Oh, great. Well, that is great. A,
3: a beautiful, beautiful presentation that you've done tonight.
1: Thank you very much. Is this the Charles? I think it is.
3: Yes, it is. <laughs> um, I have to tell you, I was, I was taking a drink when you uh, talked about was Jesus embarrassed when he appeared to Joseph Smith because he wasn't able to do what he promised he would do. Yeah. I, I almost, I almost spit my drink out of my mouth. Yeah. That is so true, though. It is. When you think about it, just how insulting the whole idea of a Mormon restoration is yes. when you compare it to the power of God's Word, as you've done so beautifully tonight. Thank you very oh. much. Doris,
1: Thank you for God the encouragement, bless. Charles. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye okay okay we have carolyn calling in parawan hello carolyn
4: hi um yes ma'am i just uh, happened to be watching the show tonight and I, I thought you touched on a point that my husband and i have talked about many times and, and if uh, in all honesty joseph Smith had to condescend to take the meeting from jesus and god uh, I suppose you could say, what arrogance is this?
1: Yes, exactly. That it was Joseph that had to do what Jesus couldn't do.
4: Exactly. And if you look at the church, uh, you know, as it were, rewriting the gospel and telling everybody how it really is supposed to be, he is actually saying that he is a greater personage.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: It's, yes. It's he- far worse. It's more pathetic than we ever It's
1: very blasphemous.
4: Prayed. We'll have to pray for
1: these people. We Amen. Do. Yes <laughs> Keep we do working. Yes, we do. And I and I agree with you. And the difficult thing with this is uh people, I, I really don't think that our culture understands that with the power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead, we don't need all of their works, all of their temples, all of the, the no. things that they require us to do when the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead does it for us.
4: And this dreadful business of, you know, doing this work for the dead, it just... You know, I just happened to have seen somebody that I um, mean, they've recently become a Christian. They passed away, and and they're still trying to drag this person up and do the work, you know, for the dead for them. And I, I guess it doesn't matter, but it just
1: well, it actually it does matter, Carolyn, because the Bible prohibits necromancy. Uh, yeah, it, it prohibits it several times. Necromancy is a terrible abomination to God, and that's what they're doing. And that's, well, that's not occultic
4: behavior in a way. Isn't it is.
1: It? it is. Yeah. Lord
4: have mercy. I'll have to keep fighting. <laughs> yes.
1: Keep praying. All right. Mm-hmm. Thank okay. you, ma'am. God Thank bless you. you. Uh-huh. Bye. Okay. Joseph calling from Logan. Hello, Joseph. And turn your T V down, please.
5: Okay, yes, I'm here, sorry.
1: Okay. You're on the air.
5: Alright. Uh a first thing, Doris, I'd like to say, uh great episode today. I have to agree with Charles. Uh it was very very well put, the points that you had brought up about um, you know, how Jesus would have been embarrassed to have to have um, you know, a mere mortal finish his work. Um but I also wanted to ask you some advice on um on something. I, I deal in my line of work, I uh I deal with a lot of um, high school seniors that are contemplating or about to go on their LDS mission. And um, I was uh, I wondering, what what could you recommend that I uh, mention to them or say to them if I only had, like, one opportunity to try to convince them what they're doing is wrong or um, try to convince them that, uh, you know, not to go on a mission, that type of thing? Well. Uh, what's the one thing that I could kind of, like, uh, bring bring light to them that uh, would would kind of help influence their decision on not to go on their mission or to I think uh, convince them that what they're doing is wrong you
1: know? I, I think Joseph that there's, I don't know, it's really hard to say what the one thing would be, but I think that everybody needs to know who Jesus is. They do not know who Jesus is, and if they knew that he's God Almighty, the only God in existence, and not Satan's brother, it might make a difference. It might be so profound to them um, that it might make a difference. I, okay. It, it, each person is different, each need is different, and prayer, asking God to meet them at that particular need for each person, of course, is important. I know that was so profound to me when I discovered that Jesus Christ was God.
5: Oh, wow. Okay. So, but I guess the, the uh, apprehension, the fear, whatever they have with that, is they go and open up the Book of Mormon and say, well, it says right here, blah, blah, blah. How could I counter that type of thing?
1: About Jesus being God, you mean? Yes, how
5: personally? could I counter what, whatever they're going to try to show me in their book, how could I counter I mean, I know it shows in numerous locations in the Bible, but, I mean, they're so convinced that the Book of Mormon is right. Uh, how could I like, kind of convince them that it's wrong? And that well, the pearl, great, of, the like pearl God of great... Not the brother of Lucifer, so on and so forth.
1: The pearl of... Well, that's, that's a good point right there. First of all, the Pearl of Great Price teaches there's councils of gods and many gods and all this stuff. The Book of Mormon says there's only one God. So there's your contradiction right there. But okay. the, the Book of Mormon, you, if, you want, if you had opportunity to get into some of this dialogue with them, you could bring out that not, none of the major Mormon doctrines are even in the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon oh, wow. does. The Book of Mormon doesn't teach that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. The Book okay. of Mormon uh, it doesn't teach about baptism for the dead and 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 all uh, so many of the major doctrines, uh, the preexistence and all that. It's not in the Book of Mormon. Wow,
5: I didn't know that. Yeah. Good to know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The main doctrines right. are not there.
5: Yeah, definitely. You and definitely give need some good in tools fact, to work with. I'll um.
1: In fact, Joseph, on, on the polygamy issue, uh, the Book of Mormon condemns polygamy. Look at Jacob, chapter 2, and I think it's around verse 20, 23, 24, somewhere around there, uh, uh, which condemns polygamy. Then you go into jo- the section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants, and it, it commands it. So there's another contradiction, it, just in their own scriptures. Oh,
5: okay, excellent. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you've given me, definitely given me some good stuff to work with here. I'll, I'll start with that. Okay. And um, okay. try that and see see where that takes me and okay. uh, try giving you a call again if I need some more yeah. advice. Oh,
1: okay, this. great. And uh, uh, if you want to leave like, some contact information, I can send you a phone number or an email, and, and we can maybe dialogue off the air, too.
5: That would be incredibly
1: awesome. Okay. Thank you for, right, for calling. Doors. Well, uh-huh. thank you
5: so much for all that you do. God bless you.
1: You betcha. Thank you. Bye. All
5: right. Bye.
1: Okay, we have Dan calling from Ogden. Hello, Dan.
3: Hi. Yeah, um, you need I to was turn your TV down. The, the Bible warns warns against uh, false prophets. I'm paraphrasing. I don't know exactly where it's at in the Bible, but I know it warns of beware of false prophets, mm-hmm. which kind of insinuates that there will be uh, true prophets. And are, are there, Were there true prophets after Jesus um Jesus' death, and if so, who were they? I know Paul came after Jesus' death, but was he a prophet, and and who would you classify as a...
1: The Bible tells us that John the Baptist was the last of the prophets, in the sense of the Old Testament-type prophets. Now, there's a New Testament spiritual gift called prophet, or prophecies, but uh, 1 Corinthians 14, I think it's verse 2, tells us what that particular office holds. And that is just to teach and encourage people. And so, that, but it's not the same way, the same uh, function as an Old Testament prophet would do. Uh, the only prophet now that we have in that function would be Jesus Christ. And he is. Jesus is our final prophet. He's our final priest and our king. He's the only prophet, priest, and king that we have to do, or that has to do with um, uh, uh, our lives here now. There are no other prophets in that sense.
3: Okay, well, I'm just curious, like, then why the scripture just wouldn't say beware of any prophets um, instead of beware of false prophets.
1: Well, there are prophets in the sense of the New, in the New Testament sense, definitely. People come all the time saying they're prophets. Every leader of every polygamous group claims they're the prophet of that group, the only true prophet. And of course, the, every leader that that's been president of the LDS Church claim that they're the only living prophet on the planet as well. And there's other Not religions truth. that do they the, would the be same the
3: false thing. Prophets. Uh-huh. Are there any true uh-huh. prophets?
1: The true prophets would be the Christians who are accurately doing what the New Testament says that they should do, which is in First Corinthians fourteen two.
3: Which would be like a pastor would be a, a prophet. In, a, I in guess. a
1: sense, yes, he would be doing that, encouraging and and strengthening uh, the people in the Word of God. Yes.
3: Okay, if you could give me that scripture, I'd like to look it up. The First Corinthians what? First
1: Corinthians fourteen two.
3: Okay, and and then just one other point. I love your show, uh, but. Uh, God sometimes does work through... I'm not LDS, but I just, I'm listening to your points, and I'm doing a lot of research, and sometimes God does work through young boys. I, I guess he's worked through King David, and it comes to mind, you know, as a young boy, to slay Goliath. or He works through people to get his work done.
0: Yes. not
3: saying that he restored the church through Joseph Smith, but he, he does, mm. you know, when you read the Bible, he, he uses people to get... A, a means to his end. And right? That's Abso- He absolutely
1: does that. He does. He works with people who have a heart for God. Joseph Smith didn't have a heart for God. If you want to read his history, he had a heart for for uh, money digging and and trying to do all these funny little occultic things out in the middle of the night and making circles and digging holes to find treasure. He didn't have a heart for God.
3: That, that's true. that that's true. That, that's and David true. did I have one that, other quick thing to say. And um, I, again, I'm just reading the Bible, and yeah, the scripture you gave tonight talks about how Jesus ascends to the right hand of God. Um, and I just wondered, there seems to be, he doesn't ascend and he is God. He descends to the right hand, I guess, showing like two distinct per- people. I, I just had a question how, how you interpret that. How, like how,
1: how I interpret that he's at the right hand of God if he is God? Is that what your question?
3: Yeah, how could he be at the right hand of God and God? At the, the right side? hand
1: of God is always descriptive in the Bible of, the, of his power and authority. Sitting at the right hand of God means, means that, that Jesus is on the throne of God and he has the power and the authority of God.
3: Okay, thank you.
1: Okay, thank you. Mm, bye. Okay. okay, we have line one, Marcia calling from Ogden. Hello, Marcia.
6: Good evening. Good um, evening. I'm really glad I stuck with the show tonight. It's been um, my meat for the day, I think. Oh, good. Uh, I think I'll start with a question on the caller. First of all, I had some comments, but on the question on the caller from Logan, I think he said he was a teacher. Is that correct? Uh,
1: the one that was with the missionary boys that were going on missions. Um.
6: About the students that were uh, are prepared to go on the yeah, missions and yeah. everything, yeah. Was he a uh-huh. teacher in the Logan <clears throat> area?
1: I believe he said that, yeah. I don't recall for sure.
6: Okay, well, the reason I um, wanted to ask the question, I thought, if he's a teacher, all the more power to him if he can confront these students when they're in school and everything and not get chastised for it, he's got a... He's got a um, a lot of strength, and all the more power to them if he can reach them before they get out of school. But my other comments, and I always have had this problem, I used to be Mormon and everything, and I came out of the church several years ago, but, um, and became a Christian, but, uh, I keep thinking of things like, God is not a man, that he has to lie.
1: Right.
6: And how it, uh, um, Perverse is Joseph Smith thinking that he is or was, that he has said all along in some of his writings that he was able to keep people in his church, and not even Jesus Christ could keep people in the Christian church, and everybody in order to get into heaven uh, has to go through Joseph Smith because he has the keys of the kingdom. Excuse me, I thought the only person that had that was Jesus.
1: That's true. Jesus is. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him, not through Joseph Smith. Well, Absolutely. I appreciate that.
6: Absolutely. Um, I, I'm glad that I listened to the show. It's got a lot of meat to it tonight. And and um, it's a good show tonight, like people have been saying. I just hope there's some... Uh, I can get enough, enough guts like that one person in Logan and do
1: mm-hmm. uh,
6: confront my family and and well, friends that it, are it takes it takes, that
1: are, that it takes moments, courage and, and it takes our timing
6: you. i just commend you for your show all the thank time thank you
1: thank you very much okay bye okay we have line three calling herman in Provo. hello herman
7: all oh, right thank you so much for sending me that letter for the recreation on these uh, letters i got so I could get my wife off of the uh, documents on the LDS Church, and I will send that into the to church. And I wanted to say thanks. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad you. I think it's really nice tonight. What you talked about, and I agree with you. Jesus Christ died for us, and when you think about it, the whole world celebrates Jesus' death. Mm-hmm. When we go around, the, all the Christians in the world, from one corner to the other and i think that's the biggest thing ever happened it is and we think about that jesus died and we're going to be eternal life with him forever
1: uh-huh
7: mm-hmm. and uh, that's the biggest thing about it. We don't have to worry about going through joseph smith no to go into celestial kingdom
1: no joseph smith you know I mean? died and he's still in the grave
7: and there's another thing you know uh, if it wasn't for joseph smith i don't think we would have polygamy
1: not in America. Not, up. <laughs> not likely that we would have it, at least not to the, to the degree we have it. See, the only place in the world, there, there are other places in, through, in the world today and throughout time and centuries and millennia past where polygamy has been lived, but it was only Joseph Smith who took it to the divine level. And he turned polygamy into something that's required for eternal life. He took it further and made Jesus Christ a polygamist. He took it further and he made God the Father a polygamist. Exactly I mean, he, I he took it, it and he twisted. No, if that was still
7: legal nowadays, I think, I call him Joe Blow, he would have a lot of wives. And then they, that German uh, prophet or apostle, I call him a doom Club. he would have a lot of weapons, too.
1: Well, it's... It was still
7: legal, you know. It, it's, but I know it's not legal anymore, but I think not, the it, still it would... It never
1: was legal, sir. And even when Joseph Smith lived it, it was not legal in the United States at any point that the Mormons lived I agree it. with you. Yeah. But
7: if, if it was legal now, you know, if the, they would still practice it. That's the way I feel. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's the way I feel.
1: Well, I appreciate your call. and Thank you, sir.
7: Thank you so much for, again for, for that letter you sent us. You're welcome. I appreciate that You're very welcome. much.
1: Okay. You Bye. have a good evening. You too. Good night. Good night. Okay. I have an off-the-air question. Joe asks, Why does the LDS Church not emphasize Easter and the crucifixion? You know, I think they are doing so more now than they used to do. I know I've noticed in several years past and gradually they seem to be acknowledging the true meaning of Easter more and more as each year goes by. Uh, but they, they don't understand the, the power, like we talked about tonight already, of that resurrection. If, if people could grasp the power of what the resurrection means, they would toss out the Mormon church because they don't need it. You don't need anything besides Jesus. You don't need anything that the Mormon church offers but Jesus Christ. And so they can't focus on that, or people would walk away by the millions, and which is why we do this show, hoping that they will. Um, and line one is Keziah. Hello, Keziah. Hey. Hey, girl. Uh, What's up? I
8: just wanted, I just wanted to uh, put in that just a couple of licks and say, you know, the Fox Book of Martyrs uh-huh. shows the hundreds of thousands of people were executed in all these horrible forms and having their heads chopped off uh, uh, you know hung on crosses and and and, and, and ripped to pieces with uh, animals pulling them apart fed to the animals and everything all the people were willing to endure rather than to give up the mm-hmm. purity of the simplicity of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and bless their hearts, those hundreds and thousands of Christians. To me, that right there says, oh, they, not any church or organization or institution, they kept the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it never Left the earth. That's right. God bless them. That's I, right. I read that book, the Fox Book of Martyrs. Yeah. And you know it tells how the apostles were murdered, mm-hmm. and then, and then it goes on to uh, tell all these other beautiful people right up to our day. That's right. And that's Darwin, right. I, I it never ended. I, I just, I'm so thrilled mm-hmm. for, for these truths that have been preserved because
1: yes, yep, and yeah, that's okay. a good point. you. Hey, and you look great. Thank you. And bless I,
8: your heart. Uh, you know. You,
1: you knocked it out of the park tonight, darling, so God bless you. <laughs> Thanks, Kaziah. Good night. And that's, that's a good point, too, because there were the, the Fox's Books of Martyrs. Talks about martyrs through the centuries, through all the millennia, since Christ and, and the apostles died. The Dark Ages are not indicative of the fact that there was no gospel. It was a totally something different. Okay, we have line two, Kay Brown. Hello, Kay. Well, hi, Doris. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great, thank you. Good. Hey, um,
9: I just have a couple of scriptures that I wanted to share with your caller, Dan. Um, These are uh, scriptures that would um, help him to understand the capacity of Jesus as prophet. And the first one is found in Hebrews. It's chapter Mm 1. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. That's the first witness there. These are mm-hmm. two, there's more, but mm-hmm. um, these two are, are I'll share tonight. Mm-hmm. The other one is found in the book of Revelation. This is the revelation that God the Father gave to Jesus Christ, which was just penned by John. Mm-hmm. And chapter 1 starts with verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it mm-hmm. by his angel unto his servant John. Um, this proves unequivocally that Jesus Christ is acting in the, uh, one of his titles as prophet, um, because if things are revealed through a prophet, Jesus Christ uh, takes us through with this revelation mm-hmm. from his ascension, right. clear until the end of time when he returns. That's
1: exactly right. So there we, is we no have need it all. of no other more. prophet
9: besides the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just wanted that's to share right.
1: that. And that's a good point. Absolutely, Kay. Thanks for calling and sharing that. Uh, Jesus is our final prophet. There is no more. Uh, there's no more to add. Uh, there is no more to know. He's revealed everything that we need to know clear to the end, just like you said. Amen. Just like Kay said. Thank you, Kay.
9: Okay. Thanks for all you do. Appreciate everything. You're
1: welcome. Bye. Bye. And and, you know, it's kind of hard for people to understand that we can rely strictly on Jesus Christ to take care of all the things that they think they have to rely on a man to do. Uh, But in Timothy, it tells us that Jesus is the mediator, the only mediator between man and God, and that's Jesus Christ. We don't need a priesthood. We don't need a prophet. We need nothing. No one at all, but Jesus and him alone. The foundation of both the LDS and polygamous is the claim of a 14-year-old boy having an encounter with two personages from heaven whom he said was the Father and Jesus Christ. But Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 tells us that Jesus is coming again, and it says that he's coming the second time. Jesus hasn't come back since his first coming 2,000 years ago. He did not come to Joseph in the woods. He did not come to the New World people in the Book of Mormon. When he comes back, it will be the second time at the end of the age. And the second time means he's only been here once before. If you know what the Bible teaches, you'll know false doctrine when you hear it. False doctrine like God requires polygamy. False doctrine like there was an apostasy. And you know, God knows the future. And he knew all about all the heresies that people would ever come up with and he put the corresponding truth to that in the Bible. And if you don't know the Bible or trust it or read it or study it or try to understand it, you will be deceived and you'll be so deceived you'll claim you're not deceived. Jesus said God's word is truth. Only the truth can bring light to the lie. And because the Bible tells us that God cannot be seen and that Jesus hasn't come yet the second time, we know that Joseph Smith could not have visited with Jesus in the growth. We know that because that's what the Bible teaches. So test what you hear, test what you believe with the Bible. Blow the dust off your Bible, open it up, and discover these things out for yourself. Discover the message and the power of God unto salvation through that cross of Jesus Christ. Your eternity depends on it. And next week, we're gonna answer the question, does the LDS church need protection from polygamous? Good night.